High-speed internet is absolutely essential to the daily lives of North Carolina residents and citizens. We've talked about this over the last year and probably the last uh, 40 uh, around our ability to connect with our communities. Hi, my name is Tracy Dokes. I'm the president and CEO at MCNC. And thank you for joining us today for a very special edition of MCNC Community Connect podcast. For 12 consecutive years, MCNC has highlighted a dozen broadband related stories from the calendar year throughout December to create the 12 days of broadband. These annual articles are a nice way to wrap up the year, recap MCNC's own top priorities, accomplishments, and activities, and feature important news from our clients and other regional, state, and national broadband organizations. This month, marking our 13th year of 12 Days of Broadband, we have once again showcased how investments in infrastructure, bandwidth, and technology have helped ensure digital equity and inclusion for all citizens in North Carolina, as well as drive economic and social growth in the state. Today, I am joined by members of the MCNC Senior Leadership Team to take a look back at this year and look forward to an exciting year in 2024. Thank you team for all being here. As we get started, I know over the last year, we've talked about the vision of MCNC, which is really to make North Carolina the most connected state in the nation and for MCNC to utilize its infrastructure and technology services to help our communities to be able to meet their goals in that same effort. I do wanna talk a bit about digital equity, which we have not talked about a lot over the last year and MCNC's role in that. I'd like to at least summarize some of the um, overarching principles that should guide a comprehensive broadband strategy around digital equity. And to be clear, I've stolen these five principles from the Benton Institute, so I want to make sure that I call that out. But the first one is digital equity, which is making affordable, high-performance broadband available to overlooked, unserved, and underserved populations accompanied by training and digital skills that empowers users to make the most of their connections. Two, deployment. In a world in which the talents of all people matter, broadband infrastructure investment is necessary and is a necessary economic strategy, particularly as it relates to economic development. Uh, competition, Americans should not have to pay more merely because public policies failed to promote competition effectively, which is why you see the funding that's coming from the federal government to help level that playing field. Uh, for community anchor institutions, which is you know our main focus and one that we're very passionate about in terms of that community using broadband to fulfill their missions. These institutions should be able to reach users wherever they are and service launching pads 
for community-wide access. And number five is state and local leadership, which obviously is the best approach to fuse federal support with more trusted state, tribal, and local leadership to ensure the promise of universal, affordable, open broadband. So a good friend of mine, Amy Hoffman, uh, Huffman that worked uh, at North Carolina Broadband Infrastructure Office used to remind me that digital equity is the goal and digital inclusion is how you get there. And so, you know, as we talk about the high performance um, broadband availability for our communities, it's clear that collaboration between carriers, the North Carolina Broadband Infrastructure Office, other government agencies, legislators, and nonprofits uh, is critical to identifying where these uh, areas are, the priority for serving these areas, the approach for accessibility, and options for affordability. MCNC is convening and collaborating with as many of these entities as possible to ensure the state is leveraging the assets we have available to meet the demand. Funding and collaboration will be the underlying critical elements to do this work. And we're really excited to talk about a few of the projects that we're funding and we have received funding for in order to expand connectivity across North Carolina to support digital equity and digital inclusion. I'd like for um, our Chief Operating Officer, Tommy Jacobson, to talk more about you know, these wonderful projects that we've been working on related to connectivity, some of the awards that we have won um, over the last year and anything else he'd like to expand upon. Tommy? Thank you, Tracy. Um, so for this year, uh, the highlight of for us was that in June, MCNC was awarded an $11.2 million grant from the NTIA to combine with $8 million of our own resources uh, to build 209 miles of fiber in 11 counties of North Carolina between Sanford, Fayetteville, and Jacksonville in the Southeast, and Winston-Salem and Albemarle in the central part of our state. Um, we obviously did a, a, a pretty good job of uh, highlighting for the NTIA um, the needs in this area for uh, the unserved and underserved uh, communities uh, in those areas. And we're uh, incredibly proud that we were able to bring um, you know, more um, money from the federal government to North Carolina um, to work in these areas. Um, it, within that project, we're currently, uh, so we started working in July on the project after we were awarded in June and currently are going through the environmental review stage that is required of uh, any federal dollars that are invested. Due to my involvement in the VTOP programs 10 years ago, I'm incredibly familiar with um, what's involved in that. And we are hopeful that um, sometime in the first quarter of calendar 24 that we'll um, receive our go ahead to proceed with construction uh, sometime in the second quarter of, of calendar 24. You know, beyond that, we uh, continue to uh, be very proud of our work with the community college system. This past year, our client network engineering team led by Dave Furness had a round two engagement with the community college system on their rural college broadband project. I believe this uh, engagement involved 20 
mostly rural colleges. And the, the work there that the community college system did in conjunction with us uh, enabled the community college system themselves to be the recipients of uh, a government project award at the recent NC Tech Awards Gala in, um, in, the, in excuse me, November. And again, client network engineering team played a vital role in, in that, those engagements for upgrading um, network infrastructure at those colleges. Uh, in K-12, we continue to be focused on the connectivity, but also um, things beyond connectivity. Secure connectivity is, is critical for uh, any enterprise. And um, this past year, um, our team uh, across the board and in our, in our organization with between the security team and the development and our network uh, management teams and then the deployment teams, um, uh, I think we uh, integrated more than 230 firewalls across the K through 12 community as school districts and charter schools. And so I'm sure Chris may speak more to that a little bit later, but um, we continue to recognize the need for um, providing other services beyond connectivity to our community um, in the form of con consultations like we did with the uh, community college project and then the integration of security services as we've been doing with the K-12 community. So Tommy, can you remind us all how long MCNC has been providing connectivity services to K through 12? I'm sure you or Phil have a wee bit of history. Since I was 10 years old. So that was like 15 years ago. Um, so I think we started that process uh, around 2007 uh, was when the actual implementation began to, to come about 2007, 2008. I know the vision probably happened a little bit before that, but so the last 16 years or so is how long we've been doing it now from a connectivity perspective. And, and you know, at that time, the connectivity was 100 meg to every institution was the or every school district was the goal. And, you know, 16 years later, we have some institutions that are um, approaching 50 gig. Now there's an arms race, if you will, between um, Charlotte Mecklenburg schools and Wake County to see who can continue to be. The, the leader in terms of bandwidth utilized on the network, but then, you know, you go down to smaller districts now that you wouldn't think about the need for 10 and 20 gig connectivity on a daily basis is the, is the norm. So, um, but that answers your question about 15, 16 years now. I, re I remember specifically May of 2009 is when all school districts, MCNC completed the, uh, optical transport connections to all 115 school districts. And so the MCNC's role as the backbone provider to K-12 kind of commenced in earnest for everyone uh, in uh, May, May 2009. And I want to say at that point, there was about one gig of usage for K-12 traffic on, on the backbone. I think the, uh, the school connectivity report for this year is coming out uh, is being published actually here in the next couple of weeks. And I want to say that the uh, usage now is is pushing maybe 550 gig. Wow. Um, sort of 95th percentile. Um, so it's uh, obviously come a long way. Yeah. <laughs> uh, yeah. Since, since 2009. And now it's more than just the school districts. There's nearly 200 charters, I think, that we're serving as well. Charter yep. schools around the state. So it's definitely continued to evolve. Can you talk a little bit or a lot about how our higher ed communities have um, been woven into this? Because 
we started with higher ed before um, K-12. Can you speak to that a bit as well? So uh, when I first got to MCNC, um, you know, our focus was on the uh, university sector. Um, that was really all we provided connectivity for. And then um, K-12, we evolved into doing K-12, and that was merely um, my recollection, and Phil may have uh, some of the similar thoughts, was around the notion of uh, online testing being better for um, school districts that were having to, to, to take, um, you know, in a course end of grade testing that was administered through the Friday Institute, I think at the time. And then, but their connectivity for that would actually leave the state and come back in and performance was, was not what it um, should be. And that was the catalyst, I believe, for, you know, asking MCNC, can we provide service to the K through 12 community? Uh, it wasn't not, it wasn't long after that, that we were, you know, asked, can you, can you move, um, can we, you know, implement community colleges on the network? And the answer obviously was yes. And so I would believe around, you know, 2012, uh, the vision to create a, a full K through 20 networked environment for education in North Carolina was achieved. And so we've been doing that for the last, you know, 10 or so years. Um, you know, for us, each sector of education represents unique opportunities and challenges. Um, you know, when we brought on K-12, they represented a large amount of users, but the, the smallest amount of um, bandwidth. But now that's evolved to where they're the largest amount of users and the largest amount of bandwidth. But it does, doesn't mean the universities have quit uh, having a need to for us to push the envelope um, in terms of how we support them with networking because, you know, we have a lot of great research campuses in the state and, you know, we're having to meet their needs as well. But we'd be remiss if we also didn't talk about healthcare and our very strong partnership with the North Carolina Telehealth Network and the growth of their usage. Can you briefly speak to that as well? Yeah, I'll, I'll probably ask my buddy Jim to um, tell me the, the the endpoint numbers now. But I mean, we clearly have grown healthcare in the last ten years as well. Um, there's over two hundred or so um, endpoints now with healthcare or more, wow. I believe. Um, we have critically important partnerships with UNC Healthcare, uh, Daymark Healthcare, Vidant, uh, Carolina East. Um, you know, our role there is to obviously connect the hospitals and then the um, the practices that are associated with those hospitals um, to one common framework of network. And, um, you know, we've been very successful in doing that as well. Um, it's an important vertical for, for MCNC from a standpoint. In my opinion, when you talk about the um, you know, some of the medical teaching schools being at the universities, there's just a, a common tie into all of that being on one one network. And um, we're pleased to, to support them as well. Yeah. And Tommy, on that note, it's actually we'll be over 300 soon in terms of endpoints. And I think that number is only going to grow, particularly when you consider that by way of the HERO project and other projects that MCMC is working on, we'll be going to some of these more rural, unserved or underserved areas where there are those rural health centers that have gone so long without and thus been unable to meet the needs of their patients. But those projects uh, will look to meet those needs finally. Long overdue. 
And I know we've talked in the past with um, the telehealth network about bundling in some other services like cybersecurity. Tommy mentioned the suite of security services. So I'm gonna toss it over to Chris, who is our VP of security services, for him to talk a bit about you know, what we're doing, what some of the successes have been of uh, vital cyber over the last year. Chris? Thanks, Tracy. Uh, I actually wanna start out by tying back to what you led us off with in this notion of, of equity. Uh, and this is actually the, the mission of our vital cyber business. And that is to uh, provide world-class cybersecurity protection uh, to every part of our community, to make these, these really fantastic protection capabilities available and accessible to all folks in the community. Um, but there's, you know, talk of a, a cyber poverty line that, that exists that, you know, there are a lot of folks who can't afford uh, uh, the protections that they need, or they uh, might be able to afford it, but they don't have the uh, the expertise to actually use the thing that they purchased to actually improve their security posture. So um, within this vital cyber business, this is really what we're focused on is, is delivering meaningful, positive cybersecurity outcomes for folks in the community. Um, and so I, I just wanted to call that out up front since you had talked about equity early on. That's a big driver for what we're doing uh, with our cybersecurity business. Um you mentioned success, and we have had uh, um, some things to, to celebrate and, and talk about uh, this year. Um, I will start by talking about uh, the firewall service, managed firewall service that Tommy uh, alluded to earlier. Uh, so MCNC over the past year has completed a program of work to migrate nearly 230 uh, public schools, uh, charter schools, and, and school districts across the state uh, off of their previous uh, firewall solution onto uh, MCNC's new uh, managed firewall platform. Uh, that has been a significant amount of work. Anyone who's ever been involved in uh, trying to migrate uh, a firewall understands the challenges that go into uh, moving from one platform to another, particularly when they're different technology platforms, making sure that uh, the different firewall rules and policies get carried over appropriately, that all the things that used to work uh, still work uh, after you've transitioned to the new solution, uh, and then making sure that you uh, do your best to not introduce any uh, security exposures along the way. That's a significantly challenging um, thing to embark on when you're doing it for one organization, let alone for over 200 unique organizations across the state. Uh, so that is a a program of work that required a, a significant amount of effort, coordination, um, program management, project management, technical resources, both at MCNC and also at all the individual PSUs across the state. Uh, so we were very excited to uh, actually complete uh, all of those migrations in the uh, late summer, early fall timeframe. Uh, and what we have recently embarked on as a second phase of this project to come behind now that all the schools are migrated to the new platform and up and running. Um, and we have begun a, a program of work to evaluate each 
PSU individually and optimize and harden uh, their firewalls to ensure that uh, each PSU is getting maximum protection value uh, and maximum performance and efficiency uh, out of uh, this new firewall service. So that's a, a body of work that uh, we recently engaged in and will be ongoing for the next uh, several months. Uh, but it is pretty exciting to to be able to hit that milestone and achieve that because it does represent a significant amount of work. Um, in addition to migrating uh, the firewalls that were on the previous service, we also have picked up uh, several new customers that now that the state has made this new platform and service available, uh, wanted to come on board. So we've been able to bring on several new folks as well. Uh, so that's pretty exciting. The other thing I will highlight from a success standpoint, uh, two things, actually, our managed endpoint service, our partnership with CrowdStrike, uh, that continues to be really, really successful. Um, across the state, we now have uh, close to 250,000 endpoint devices that are under active uh, management from a protection standpoint. Um, and this includes K-12 schools, community colleges, universities, uh, towns and municipalities, healthcare, all uh, walks of life across the community that MCNC serves. We have customers uh, utilizing this service and it has been um, hugely successful. The, the feedback we have received um, since bringing this service into the market uh, has been really, really positive um, and can, continues to um, to be very successful, both for uh, the customers in the community that we're serving and also for MCNC. Um, I would like to highlight a couple of interesting uh, statistics around the endpoint service. Um, I mentioned that we uh, have uh, close to uh, 250,000 endpoint devices that we are actively protecting on a daily basis. Over the past year, the service has uh, detected and blocked uh, over 225,000 individual uh, security events. Uh, so that translates to roughly 600 events per day uh, that our service is, is pr providing protection for uh, in the community. Uh, in the last 45 days alone, we've blocked over 40,000 uh, threat events specific to the K-12 community in North Carolina uh, and um, 15 unique uh, ransomware attack events um, were detected and blocked uh, by the platform. Um, I'm also really, really pleased to say that a specific new attack technique uh, came to light in mid-November, uh, and our service has uh, successfully uh, detected and remediated over 200 attempts uh, to exploit this brand new uh, attack technique. So um, these kind of things just demonstrate the, the value of the service. Um, it's not just that there's a protection service in place. It's it's that it's uh, a highly effective uh, uh, protection service that is actively defending our community uh, against the very recent, uh, the very newest attack techniques that uh, threat actors are attempting to leverage. So I think, you know, I started off a little bit or a lot around collaboration can you speak to some of the other partners that we have in this space that we're collaborating with? I know you mentioned CrowdStrike, but you know, with Firewall and some of these others. Yes, absolutely. So CrowdStrike, uh, as I mentioned on the endpoint side, that's a really, really important partnership for MCNC. Uh, they, their platform enables us to deliver all this value 
that I was just talking about from an endpoint perspective. Uh, on the firewall side, we have a, a deep partnership with Palo Alto Networks, uh, and they've been really great to work with. Uh, and that partnership continues to grow uh, as we are actively leveraging uh, technology and solutions from Palo Alto, not just on the firewall service, but also in our uh, attack surface management uh, service, which is a uh, another thing that um, we're providing in the community to uh, provide early detection uh, and warning for things that may become cyber issues down the road. Uh, so that's a, a really uh, important partnership for us as well. Um, also, on the content filtering and web security side, specifically for the K-12 community, um, we have a long, deep partnership with Zscaler. Um, so that continues to be successful. Akamai uh, is another one that um, we have a, uh, a lot going on with in terms of our DNS filtering service. Um, our DDoS protection service, uh, we leverage technology from Arbor Networks, which I think is part of uh, NetScout now. So that continues to be a really, really successful solution for us as well. Uh, and obviously, um, Cisco is a uh, significant partner for CNC, both on the uh, the network connectivity side as well as the cybersecurity side. Um, so all of those folks uh, are key players in what we're putting together, what we're providing uh, to the community, and we're I'm pleased and excited to to be partnered with all those folks. Thanks, because I think that's a a big part of you know this service and our other services is how we do partner with the very best in the business because we we all recognize um, how they uh, help our communities and can improve um, their posture as it's related to security or, or anything else for that matter. So. I just wanted to call them out because there's some really strong partnerships here at MCNC that we're continuing to make to support our services. Yes, absolutely. Um, in terms of uh, what's coming up uh, over the next year for us, we uh, have active development work going on around new services. Um, the firewall service is one uh, that I mentioned earlier and talked quite a bit about. Um, we're currently providing that really only for the K-12 community. Uh, but over the next year, we will uh, begin to offer that service to other parts of the community. I know there's a significant amount of interest from the community in being able to get that service from MCNC. Uh, so that is a thing that is coming. Um, the attack surface management service that I spoke about, um, we we have a, a new iteration of that that is leveraging the, the new uh, technology stack that I talked about from Palo Alto. Uh, and that uh, new capabilities going to enable a lot of efficiencies for our um, security operations staff, uh, which ultimately translates into better, faster protections for the community. So that's uh, a new service that will be coming online, uh, available to everyone in the community uh, in the next um, year or so. And then we're also having interesting conversations with uh, multiple sectors in the community about um new capabilities that they would like us to be able to provide. Uh, and we're really excited to be part of, of those conversations. Uh, so there's a lot of interesting things in, in the uh, development pipeline there. The last thing that I want to mention uh, really is is um, in the vein of celebrating success. Um, so Tommy mentioned the uh, North Carolina Technology Association uh, Awards 
uh, gala that what they had back in November. So at that event, MCNC was recognized uh, as uh, a winner in the category of uh, leveraging technology around cybersecurity. Um, so that is great recognition, great validation for all the hard work that the teams here at MCNC are doing. Um, I've said this to our staff internally, we don't do this work to try to win awards. Uh, that's not our objective, but it is nice to be recognized uh, for doing good work. Um, so I'm really, really excited uh, about that award um, for the team because it is, again, great validation and, and recognition for uh, all the great work that our team members are doing on a daily basis to help protect uh, the community. Um, so that was an exciting thing that has happened uh, to the BioCyber business over the last year. Definitely. So we've talked about connectivity and we've talked about, you know, uh, cybersecurity and continuing to mature um, that practice. Last October, we hired an innovation guy. <laughs> um, and part of the reason for that is our fifth pillar is preparing for the future. What does the next generation of MCNC services look like um, in, in our future? And um, innovation is a part of that conversation. Phil Emer was hired to head up that um, portion of what MCNC does. But to be sure, MCNC has been innovating for a very long time. This is not anything new. But when you look at how technology is changing and the other things that we can provide our communities, as well as use ourselves, like AI and, and some of these other really cool technologies that we're all hearing about. Um, so it's been a year and some change. Phil, would love to hear your perspective on, you know, where you think innovation has gone for MCNC. I know it's been a year and some change. So <laughs> I don't expect 25 accomplishments, but would love to hear you talk a bit about you know, what, what innovation is looking like. Sure. Thanks, Tracy. Um, I think what you said first is important, right? MCNC has spent 40 plus years innovating and has, has done great things and will continue to do those things. I uh, certainly have seen my job as watching uh, all of that happen and then um, trying to be a little bit of a catalyst, identifying, you know, other opportunities uh, as, as particularly in the last couple of years with, as you mentioned, AI, quantum computing, what data looks like anymore is, is new and different and how we, we can kind of perturb our systems a little bit. Um, as, as we, we look at those, we're, we're very good at operations. We've been acknowledged, uh, for that based on winning, um, awards, winning, uh, grants. Um, but how can we sort of perturb the system to, to ensure that we're, we're innovating for, for another 40 years. So a couple of areas that we've been, um, kicking the tires on. And so I'll start a little bit with, uh, with Chris and cyber actually, um, so for those of you who, who were at Community Day, um, you know, you could see kind of where some of the innovation conversations were. There was obviously AI conversation, but one of the conversations was specifically about AI as it relates to cyber. Yeah. Right. And yeah. so um, 
what we've heard about is um, for one, bad actors are taking advantage of AI perhaps even more than, you know, the IT shops are now. And, um, you know, as Chris mentioned, all of the, the new services and existing services and evolving services, um, you know, MCNC has obviously spent a lot of time analyzing data, analyzing logs, um, you know, both the, the systems themselves, each of these individual platforms are doing some of that, but then we're, we're working to, to kind of federate uh, across those systems and, and building what is, you know, I'll call it sort of sock as a service is wrapped in there. Chris has mentioned in, in months past and years past how uh, MCNC has been asked to, to not just provide blinky lights to folks, but to look at the data, figure it out and solve the problems, right? And so um, I suspect, and we have started digging into, you know, where is AI, where is modern data services um, going to kind of meet our, our operations? Um, and then um, we always like to follow the money. Where are the grants, right? And so just an example there is AWS, right? Announced several months ago, um, a $20 million grant program that was specifically targeting uh, cybersecurity and education. So we are, you know, trying to figure out where in the AWS and AWS partner service landscape, uh, there are opportunities for us to, to sort of integrate modern data and AI services um, and, and, you know, take advantage of, of that grant program. The good news is that there are almost all of the partners that, that Chris mentioned earlier are um, AWS partners in some way, you know, Zscaler is, Palo Alto is, CrowdStrike is, right? Um, all of these folks are partners. So how can we leverage AWS services and partner services along with our, our own services, um, incorporate AI and modern data and, uh, and leverage this, this grant program? So that's, that's one area. Another area is uh, related to, to obviously the broadband work. What is the, the, the next thing we do post-winning um, the NTIA grant for Middle Mile. You know, winning those Middle Mile grants and continuing to expand MCNC's footprint across the state certainly advantages all of our existing existing customers and community anchor institutions from education to healthcare and state government. But what's next, right? So the, these new areas, particularly this area in the Southeast, you know, there's not a lot of fiber on those poles, right? right. And so we're, we're going to be, you know, Burying some fiber and adding a lot of fiber to this ecosystem, but who are the partners that we're going to work with, right, to, to solve that that digital equity uh, set of problems? How do we get telehealth into those houses? How do we we get you know good sustainable education services into those houses? We've done a great job of doing it in the schools. We have done a great job of providing middle mile services to these these last mile providers, uh, but how do we turn the crank there and and work even um, more closely with, with some providers. And so we're, we're uh, looking at uh, working with electric member co-ops. Uh, there's a high correlation between electric member co-op footprints and unserved, underserved, and overlooked. Um, and so how can we partner more tightly to accelerate and expand um, access to, to those folks? Um, and so there are you know, in some senses, there's not a lot of technical innovation there, yeah. but there's certainly some some um, maybe business model innovation there, um, and and uh, you know, doing what we've done in the past. Look, MCNC is making, uh, as Tommy mentioned, an eight million dollar investment in the 
in the hero uh, grant uh, footprints. Uh, we have in the past made BTOP sort of adjacent investments. And then even back 20, 25 years ago, um, I'm thinking of $30 million invested in the uh, what was then the Rural Internet Access Authority, which became ENC Authority. So just what's the next uh, path, uh, next thing along that path? And next investment, right? Absolutely. Which I think is what you're yes, alluding exactly. to is the years of investment that MCNC has made into the state through our efforts and importantly, through financial means um, in order to support not just our own community anchor institutions, but to your point, communities in general and to create thriving communities across the state. So right. very good point. Yeah, uh, fine. So the final um, uh, thing that I'll, I'll mention here is uh, quantum computing, quantum networking, quantum devices. Um, I don't know, uh, a few weeks ago, I think it was 60 Minutes actually had uh, a quantum uh, computing segment. Um, so even though it's pretty futury, maybe circa 2030 before you see maybe operational quantum computers, um, I feel like if it gets on to 60 minutes, it's probably worth paying attention to. Um, and so what we have found is that a number of our stakeholders, particularly obviously on the research side, um, NC State University, North Carolina Central, uh, Duke um, in particular, are doing work in the, the quantum computing, quantum networking, uh, and quantum device space. And um, while I am an electrical engineer, I'm not a physicist, um, yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> we'll, we'll get there. Um, I'm, uh, I still have my quantum for babies book on my, on my desk. So yeah. uh, I'm still at the baby's level. Great uh, read, by the way. It is. Everybody should look it up. Uh, written by, by Worley. So, um, so what, what are we looking at with quantum? I think there's a couple things here. So one way to think of it is, um, quantum computing is, I don't know, circa 2030, circa 2040 supercomputing. Uh, we used to host the supercomputing center. Uh, what is what is old is new again. Um, if you, you listen to the segment on uh, 60 Minutes, right, you'll hear some pretty good, um, some very good uh, analysis by IBM and uh, Google leadership talking about comparisons to, you know, what supercomputing can do today and what quantum could do. And essentially, you know, you could solve problems that would take, you know, millions of years uh, in maybe, you know, minutes, right? If, uh, you know, once we figure out uh, all the mechanics uh, of that, the, the quantum mechanics of that specifically. <laughs> um, but uh, the interesting point for us is not only were we in the supercomputing business, so it makes sense for us to look at that. I don't think we're going to be hosting uh, quantum computers here uh, at Building 3 at MCNC anytime soon, but... Uh, we will be connecting quantum computers together and regional networks of quantum uh, together um, in, in the country. We have been a network test bed operation in the past. Uh, the universities are asking us to play that role uh, again as they start thinking about belt bidding computers. Duke actually has sort of on their physical campus uh, at the American tobacco uh, area there, a ion trap you know, version of a quantum computer. There's not one version of a quantum computer. So it's a heterogeneous environment. You're gonna to have to be able to connect those things together. Um, who else is gonna do that but, but MCNC? And so we've been working with both local university partners and uh, also with 
peers across the country, right. Chicago Quantum Exchange. Um, we even had a visit from uh, a quantum alliance in South Carolina last week asking how we could partner across across state lines. Um, there's other work being done in California and other places. So, you know, we're, we're just beginning to, to kick the tires. We've applied for a couple of grants, yes. um, uh, both with NSF and uh, we're looking at some, some local funding. Um, Can we talk about important. a quick use case, though? You mentioned AI as it relates to cybersecurity and all the wonderful things sure. that, you know, quantum can do, but does it not have a potential for threat actors to use quantum for bad in the same way that it could be used for good. Can uh, you speak to that yes. just a little bit, you or Chris? Yeah, well, uh, I mean, I'll, I'll start and Chris, if you, you, you probably know more than me, the, the, um, there, there's a couple things, right? So it is rumored that um, uh, countries, China, perhaps U.S., um, are storing data that is encrypted, you know, um, in hopes that eventually a quantum computer will basically be able to decrypt, you know, so it, it can it can essentially um, win, you know, a cryptographic challenge, right, that will be able to sort of um, uh, deconstruct messaging and, and, and deconstruct data. And so, um, there's now this notion of building cryptography that is sort of quantum proof. Um, the, the other thing that is happening on the cyber side of quantum computing, which is arguably what some researchers consider a solved problem, and it's uh, called uh, it's quantum key distribution. So because of the way quantum physics works and quantum, um, I would say, entanglement works, um, there's this notion that um, if you have a quantum network and you're sending the, the uh, photons across the wire, you can avoid needing to do cryptography because you can use quantum to do the distribution of the keys. And by using quantum to do the distribution of the keys, it's essentially um, tamper-proof. You know, quantum key distribution makes um, uh, moving around uh, keys uh, Tamper proof, so you can you will know when somebody has tampered with it. And the notion of quantum is that when you tamper with it, it kind of disappears. Right. So um, there there are those use cases, but then you know on the security side, but then lots of use cases, um, particularly use cases that that um, require uh, testing. I need to do a calculation a million times. There are a million different ways that I can. Um, test something, whether it's for doing medical treatments, uh, those kinds of things. And so because the notion of quantum computing uses qubits instead of bits, you know, instead of having two possible answers, you have one and zero and everything in between. And so a quantum computer theoretically can take, you know, things that you would have to, you know, do, um, you know, lots and lots of test case transactions over perhaps millions of years and you can get them done, done in hours now. Again, it may be a minute before that happens, but there's a lot of research. There are commercial companies uh, and and uh, local researchers that we're working with, and so I suspect that that within the next uh, six months, certainly the next year, we will we will have our own test bed up up and running. Yeah, and uh, we'll, we'll see where the test cases lead us. 
And, and that's very, very exciting. As um, a member of the Quilt, which is an organization for research and education networks across the U.S., um, there's only a handful of us that are really um, utilizing um, quantum infrastructure for researchers and anybody else that wants to take advantage of that to see where quantum goes next and really, really exciting. I do want to switch gears a little bit or a lot um, to our newest member of the team. Um, Phil is no longer new. Um, so, uh, and that is uh, Sarah Taylor, who is our uh, chief financial officer here at MCNC, who started September 28th. 25th. That was so close, so close. Um, and so we're excited to have Sarah in the mix. I mean, there's just so much that um, you have been doing even in these last few months. But, you know, one of the reasons, one of the many reasons why Sarah was hired was her intimate knowledge and understanding of what data can do, um, particularly in finance and helping us make good business decisions. So I'll hand it to you, yeah. Sarah. Wonderful. Thank you, Tracy. Absolutely. Um, so like Tracy said, been here a little over two months and, you know, getting up to speed on how the operations here work. And I, you know, I'm chuckling as I think about, you know, everything that everybody before me has shared. And then we hand it over to finance, which is the least exciting, probably topic that we I have disagree. on the agenda. I disagree. <laughs> <laughs> um, but, but really, you know, I, I think what you can sum up what, what my finance team does is all of these exciting things that MCNC either has done historically or we're looking to do in the future. Having a strong finance infrastructure is at the core of that so that we have that reporting to understand, okay, what do we expect these these projects, these future investments to, to do? How are they going to benefit our communities and our residents? Um, and being able to quantify that, um, you know, before we even get into those projects, as we're going throughout those projects, and then even after. And um, so being able to have the visibility into that, having those key performance indicators um, are crucial to, to our success. So, you know, in retrospect, what are some things that we have done in the last year? We have implemented a couple new systems. One is our enterprise resource planning system. And really that gets us our accounting, our billing, our, you know, how do we get our vendors paid? Um, and so how are we going to leverage that in the future? Well, there's a ton of really great efficiencies and optimizations in those tools. And so I'll be focusing the next several months on how do we maximize how we do things at MCNC to um, you know, maybe tweak them a little bit, but optimizing the, the, the features of those, those systems. Um, and then the other system that we turned on is a budgeting system. And it's really more of a financial planning platform, but how do we, you know, all of these great things that we wanna do, well, we need people for that. We need cash for that. We need supplies for that. And so, organizing this tool in a way that gives us that very easy visibility because certainly none of the people around the table here want to be bogged down with trying to create their own reports. And that's where the finance team is really that partner and that resource to get everybody else the tools they need so that they can be successful. Um, and so, you know, looking ahead to 2024, again, really summarizing it up is just supporting everybody around the table. Um, and yes, I, I do love data. Um, and so being able to 
you know, start to gather all of that data via our different systems, even outside of those in the finance realm. Uh, it's certainly, certainly very exciting and looking forward to, to all the great things ahead. Yeah. And what I will say is, you know, in my history of being in an executive leadership role, the CFO and the CEO have to be joined at the hip in order to, you know, truly understand where the organization is and where it's going and what we can do, right? And so I believe the same holds true for our senior leadership team, ensuring that, you know, your voice is also heard um, as it relates to strategy, because it is more than just finance, but how all these things fold in together. And so we are extraordinarily glad that you're here. So um, welcome again for the umpteenth time. Uh, Jim, do you want to lead into some of our uh, great, well, I guess not great place to work as much as it is um, how we service our clients in a way that they're really pleased about? Yeah, sure. I think um, perfect uh, transition from what Sarah was talking about. She's talking about those tools that we're using internally that have an external benefit to our clients. And I think those go a long way towards improving that excellent service delivery that we strive to provide. Um, Key indicator of that, two key indicators of that are our net promoter score and our client satisfaction ratings. A a year ago when we had this podcast, we were celebrating um, a 74 net promoter score, which was the top quartile of the industry. And we were celebrating 98.7% customer satisfaction rate. Um, Over this last year, We've grown in our net promoter score to more than 80, and our customer satisfaction rating was 100%. That's incredible and unheard of. It it is. It's a little scary as well because it's like, oh, we're at 100%. How do we, what do we do? How do we top that uh, in the year coming ahead? Uh, So that's all a testament to everything that you've heard from everybody thus far and what you're going to hear when I'm done as well. But we've got a great team. We've got great solutions, and we've got a great story to tell. And we've done a lot of that over the last year through a number of mediums and a number of uh, projects we're working on, you know, getting that message out there by way of the social media and conversations and meetings we're having with various groups across the state. Um, As an example of that, we're currently engaged in and will continue into the listening tour, which is a tour that we have uh, designed to make sure that we stay up to speed and ahead of our clients in the higher education space. Uh, And we're talking to them about, you know, what do you have now? What are the struggles you have now? How can we address those? But also let's look forward and see what's coming up. And what, how do we anticipate and stay ahead in terms of innovation? You know, you heard Chris and uh, Phil talk today. Cybersecurity has taken center stage during all those listening tour meetings that we've had so far. Everything is cybersecurity, cybersecurity, cybersecurity. And that's because of all those threats that Chris mentioned and all those stats that you can throw out there. Um, Security operations centers and SOC as a service. But then also our clients are looking to the future. And so to Phil's point, you know, the next things that have come up in this conversation are AI and quantum. So while it's very much we're, we're ahead of it, they're thinking down the road on um, that listening tour. And then, you know, the big benefit of listening tour as well is just that client satisfaction and customer experience that we want to create, an unequaled customer experience um, uh, in, in North Carolina. Um, and then finally, you know, 
you talk about um, one of our big marquee events that we've referenced a couple of times a day is uh, Community Day, which Community Day uh, happens every other year. We just finished up, wrapped up one that, uh, you know, working with Danielle Healy and Kendall and Will on my team, just had a great event with a lot of great panels. It's great. It was a fantastic opportunity for people to network, learn from one another, uh, just uh, be around folks and learn what others are doing. How do we advance our, our, our effort? How do we advance our mission together with those in attendance, uh, looking at uh, partnerships and things of that sort. And I think um, for me, one of the best panels was the business with bacon, which anything with bacon is great, but business <laughs> with bacon is a panel that everybody looks forward to every community day. And it's an opportunity for, our leadership at MCNC to share with those in attendance what we're doing, what we're working on, but also how we're working together as a team and also working with our clients. And I think one of the best things that came out of that is the comments were, it was great to see the MCNC team talking about how they work with each other and expressing clearly how much they enjoy working with each other. And I think Matthew, who handles all things HR, could tell you that's one of the many things that makes this a great place to work. Hey, thanks, Jim. That's a great segue over into our great place to work components. And I think, you know, the points you made about Community Day are really sort of a nice place to start. I mean, our community is obviously everyone that we work with sort of outside, external to us, all of our customers and clients and having the opportunity to get together with them and sort of, you know, remind ourselves consistently, you know, who we work for and who we work with and what we're serving at a greater level is really important to us. And the opportunity for us to see each other interact with the members of that community just, I think, helps reinforce what we're all here for and what we hear from employees all the time about some of the things that really drive them and their interests in, you know, maintaining working with MCNC. I mean, from a pure nuts and bolts standpoint, we talk about being a great place to work we talk about our staff engagement. We talk about uh, our employee growth, things along those lines. Just for some context here, we're wrapping up our third year in a row of double-digit percentage growth in our headcount, right? So we increased our full-time headcount this year, this calendar year so far, so while we're recording this, by 10%. Um, since the end of 2019, the organization's actually grown by 42%. So we have had a huge number of people join the organization. All of that is tied back to the growth in our services, whether it's our fiber locating teams that we brought on board a couple of years ago, whether it's our growth and build out of some of the uh, security operations work that we've been doing, as well as building new programs there. It all comes from really servicing the community. And as we look at potential future growth opportunities with some of the points that Phil was talking about on the innovation side, with uh, you know Sarah having recently joined the team, obviously from a CFO standpoint, we've got a lot of really good opportunity here that people coming to the organization, sort of giving us the opportunity to grow and make things even better. Um, and in my mind, it makes our continued sort of employee engagement, high levels of scoring, even more impressive when you think that we've done it, A, over the past few years with COVID and everything in place, 
but also as we've grown, right? We've found, we've been able to find people who are engaged by what we do as a company. We've been able to find people that are engaged for working with our community and with the services that we put out there, as well as working with each other. I mean, you talked, Jim, a few minutes ago about our net promoter score for our customers. Um, I think it's just as important that we talk about our net promoter score for our people, right? We were doing amazing last year when we had an 89% net promoter score on our team. And then this year we get a number back that's a 94%. And again, like you said before, it's almost a hard number to understand, like, but it is a it is a fabulous thing. And overall, it means our people would recommend us, you know, as a place to be and a place for people to come and join. And our overall satisfaction ratings, you know, as we look at sort of core level satisfaction with work was about 95%. So these are great numbers. But where I back up even, you know, as we do a little bit of a deeper dive into sort of what are our climate dimensions every year. And these are things like opportunity for career enhancement, role clarity, um, readiness to execute on our strategic objectives, cross-team collaboration, respect, you know, our performance expectations. Those categories that we track on a year-over-year basis were already at a high level and, and went up even more this year. Um, it's really, I think, a testament to the people, the organization, the operation that we continue to sort of find, even in this sort of largely hybrid and remote work environment, we find these ways for each other to engage people to engage with each other, but also for ways for us to continue to sort of drive forward with the mission. Um, you know, I'll just flag, you know, we try to keep a really good idea of how people are feeling, you know, when we're, when we're doing our surveys a year over year basis, but also, you know, it's these opportunities like Chris and Tommy both mentioned earlier that for recognition, right. We, we spend a lot of our time sort of under the radar and uh, not necessarily waving our hands in the air about what we do, really well, but I think we've gotten better at that over the years of sort of uh, not only doing the work really well, which hasn't changed, but also, you know, raising our hand and saying, hey, you know, we're, we're happy to do what we do. We'd like more people to know about what we do. And those, rec the recognition that the, you know, our CNE team got, for example, with supporting the community college work, the, the recognition for the firewall deployments, right, that we were talking about earlier, as well as obviously Chris's point about the security team being recognized. I mean, these are all really great things. You know, Chris noted, we don't do the work for the awards, but it really does go to show the level of commitment that our team members have when we're recognized like this in the community. So, you know, I, it is, it really is a great place to work, you know, not to make a token statement out of that, but we really feel like we, we're trying to build an opportunity over here where people feel like they have a sense of belonging with the organization, both in what we do for the community, but also in working with each other. You know, those core values that we have are sort of rooted in our commitment to building this environment where everybody feels like they can get their job done. They feel empowered to do the work they need to do. And they feel like they're doing it on behalf of a good, uh, for good reason with good teammates. So that is really sort of how I would put a pin in it for this year. And we, you know, we're, we continue to move in the right direction, obviously want to keep doing that, but it's a really great testament to our team and how well we've been able to continue moving ahead. Great. Thank you. Um, Sean, I know we have gone from finance to our client perspective to HR and now to um, to your space. And what I want to be clear about, um, Sean Doyle is our legal counsel. 
but he's more than our legal counsel because he's got um, skills that we wouldn't be able to get anywhere else that are very broad, that are extremely uh, beneficial to MCNC and the work that we do. And as it relates to our employees and this being a great place to work, plus legal stuff. <laughs> so Sean, can you speak to, you know, kind of what's going on in your world? Sure. Thank you, Tracy. So Sarah started off talking about how finance might be the most uninteresting area. I think legal has a, uh, has a strong showing yeah, where, <laughs> that, uh, that our stuff might not be as quite as interesting as, you know, quantum computing and, and uh, some of the other uh, things that, that we've been able to, to focus on at MCNC. Um, Starting off, just building on some of the things that Matthew was talking about around great place to work. One thing that we've continued this year, we started it the year before, but making um, a series of articles available to our our employees around well-being strategies, things that both apply to the workplace, but in our personal lives too, because really one thing that I've valued very much since being at MCNC is that across the board leadership and everybody else that we're working with tends to care about one another as a human being and not just because of the widgets that they generate. And so one thing that we've been trying to, to give back over the last few years is looking at some of the, the cutting edge research in well-being strategies and how do you make sure, especially as a lot of people are now working um, in a hybrid model, and we might not be seeing each other on a daily basis, how do you continue to nurture the relationships, build those connections, make sure that people are having their personal needs met um, as they're also contributing to the organization? So we've got that series of articles that are out there. A good percentage of them have been also published in Psychology Today. So I was going to say, yep. full disclosure, that Sean Doyle is also a well-known psychologist. <laughs> so it's not like, you know. Well-known well by my mother. And well, and others. I've read uh, your articles and I actually have one of your books. So uh, it's it's not that small of a circle. So I did want to mention that to people listening, trying to think, well, where did legal, how did legal get into this space? And so that when I was complimenting you, it is that broad perspective that you have. Um, and not just in the legal realm. Sure. Well, thank you. Um, so, and building, so building along the psychology, but really now taking it more directly to the legal work. So uh, over the last year, I mean, as, as Chris and Jim and Tommy have all been talking about the incredible growth of the organization, the increased number of connections to folks, the um, the, the advances in our, our various cybersecurity services as we've reached out and connected more customers, um, there's a whole lot of documents behind those. And so we've generated a huge amount of agreements just to, um, to, to help support those services. With that, as Chris's team has been rolling out some of the new newer um, cybersecurity services under Vital Cyber, we've helped generate um, agreements for those new services. And one thing that's... Um, that's a core value of mine as we're approaching new agreements. And this applies to the cyber ones. It applies to, as you know, Phil's looking at some of the things he's doing um, for, for new services, is that um, 
and relates directly also to Jim and talking about the, the listening towards we're going on is I really want to have a strong understanding of what our clients' needs are. Because as we're developing the agreements, it doesn't do anybody any good to just kind of squeeze your issues in there and make sure that you're covered. Uh, these are about long-term relationships. So we take a very, we take very seriously trying to understand the needs of our our clients um, as we're creating agreements so that it's something that that benefits it. Uh, the client benefits the vendors and MCNC over the long haul, really for the good of the state, the good of our communities. And um, so we we see that with the new agreements that we've done around the managed firewall service, around the, the managed endpoint service. And as we look forward going into uh, the coming year, some of the new cybersecurity services that are be out there, some of the projects Phil's working on, and then plus we've got a couple of our, our major contracts are coming up for renewal. And we've already, Jim, Jim's team especially, has been working very closely with the customer to make sure that we've got a really good sense of um, what their needs are so we can make sure we're addressing those as well. Very good, very good. And so it's interesting that Sean and Sarah are both downplaying um, how interesting uh, their areas are. We would, none of us would be able to do what we do without their expertise. And so to be clear, it might seem boring to you. It feels like everything uh, to, to the rest of us around the table. And so like last year, we had so many interesting things to say and talk about. And this year is no different. I do want to thank you all for joining us on uh, today's MCNC Community Connect, which is the last one for this year. Uh, I want to thank the senior leadership team here as well as the MCNC team. As everybody has mentioned, one of the reasons why this is a great place to work is the people. It is the primary reason. And people are here because of the mission and vision of MCNC, and it shows every day. Um, in addition to that, there's no question that broadband uh, continues to be an essential um, service in our daily lives, including for all of us here at MCNC. When we talk about digital equity and what it means and how it creates thriving communities, we are talking about being able to do your internet work at home and attend virtual classrooms and receive telehealth services and staying connected um, to friends and family and even entertainment. Thriving communities need to be able to have the same access to all of that. And we at MCNC want to continue to be um, an integral player uh, in being able to achieve that for North Carolina. Um, we're glad as we've talked about and, and continue to be glad to play a key role in meeting the needs of the great state, whether it is connectivity or cyber or, you know, quantum or any of the other new services that we are providing. And coming from a public servant mindset, um, for me, I couldn't be more um, pleased, happy, and just really passionate about the work that we do here. We hope you've enjoyed this conversation in this year's 12 Days of Broadband. 
from all of us at MCNC. We wish you and yours a great holiday season, and we look forward to connecting with you again in 2024. Happy holidays from MCNC.